the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and discussions with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Chad Hextrup of HH Advisors and Jonathan B. Wilson of Taylor English Duma on valuation of renewable energy projects. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. Chad Hextra is the president of HH Advisors, a business valuation firm in Atlanta, Georgia. He earned his B.A. in accounting from Central College in Iowa. After spending over 10 years in a public accounting environment and several years with a boutique business valuation firm in Atlanta, he formed HH Advisors in 2007 to provide business valuation opinions. He's a CPA, ABV, CPA accredited in business valuation, and an ASA, accredited senior appraiser, is accredited by the American Society of Appraisers. And he's been doing business valuation full-time since 1997. Jonathan Wilson is a corporate and securities attorney with the Atlanta, Georgia firm of Taylor English Duma. He's practiced law for 19 years, spending 10 of those years with large Atlanta law firms and nine years as the general counsel of two publicly traded companies. Mr. Wilson is the founding chair of the Renewable Energy Committee of the American Bar Association's Public Utility Section and regularly advises renewable energy companies on securities, financing, and mergers and acquisitions. Gentlemen, thank you both for being part of this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Chad, let's start first of all with you. What is a business valuation? A business valuation is the process of coming up with a value for an entity or a part of an entity, and typically it's a closely held entity that doesn't have a readily available market valuation. In other words, if it's a public company, it's fairly easy to figure out what the market thinks a company is worth by going to the Wall Street Journal or logging on to Yahoo Finance or whatever and finding out a per share price, and then you can calculate the implied market value for a company. The majority of our business happens in a closely held entity where that information is not available. So it's the process that we go through to come up with the value for either the entire entity or a part of that entity, whether it's a per share or a per share for a different class of equity or even uh, at times to components of the company, such as intangible assets, uh, intellectual property, or debt. It's a way of looking at the value of a business or a part of a business that's not otherwise readily available. Jonathan, when is a business valuation necessary or needed? Well, a business valuation is needed in any circumstance where the business owner or other transaction participants uh, have a need to know what the fair market value of the business is. And that can come up in a number of different contexts. For example, in the estate and gift tax planning area, uh, our tax laws often uh, restrict or what you can do with an asset or impose taxation at different levels based upon the value of the asset. Uh, and if you're trying to plan ahead for what might happen to your estate, if you don't know the value of the asset, you can't very well plan intelligently. On the transactional side of things, recently with the uh, amendment to the tax code, uh, Section 409A requires us to value stock options and grants of equity to employees based upon the value of the business, and that would be a situation where you'd need to know business valuation. In the merger and acquisition context, you know, one company is merging with another very often, especially for publicly traded companies, but also sometimes for, for privately held companies. Uh, you need to know the value of the business being acquired, 
in order to be able to give a fairness opinion to the shareholders uh, on both sides, the acquiring side and the selling side, to know that the consideration that they're receiving in the merger uh, is fair consideration. And very often, before a board, for example, the corporation would go out to try to find a strategic buyer. They would want to do evaluation of their own company uh, so that they had an idea of what sort of uh, pricing they would be looking at. In, fi- in the financing world, companies looking for uh, bank financing often have to show that their, their businesses have a certain value uh, or they may anticipate having bank covenants and a loan agreement that limit the amount of the debt to a certain value of the business, evaluation would be needed for that purposes. Uh, for that purpose. Perhaps even more relevant to the renewable energy space for tax valuation purposes. The renewable energy space is being driven in large measure by the capital formation that comes from renewable energy tax credits. Most of the time, those renewable energy tax credits are monetized uh, through some sort of sale and leaseback transaction or something similar. There is a valuation that is necessary at the outset uh, to make sure that the tax credits are being valued correctly, as well as evaluation on the back end. Most of those sale and leaseback transactions get unwound after five or six years, and there are IRS regulations that uh, stipulate uh, the purchase price for the asset at the end of the lease period in order to ensure that it's treated as a, as a true lease and you would need evaluation uh, in that context as well. Obviously, numerous different scenarios there. Uh, Chad, what are the applicable or relevant standards in business valuation? The the playing field that is the valuation side of, of my practice is an area that's grown quite a bit over the last 10, 20 years and is under a lot of scrutiny and overview at the moment from a regulatory side. And as, as such, there's a lot of different bodies kind of weighing in on how these projects are completed. And, and it becomes a little more clear to talk about the IRS, for example. The IRS cares how closely held businesses are valued because it can be a tax moment, a taxable moment, or it can set the stage for a future taxable moment. And therefore, they have not so much a specific say, although they've laid out various um, standards to be followed in, in revenue rulings, but they watch the regulatory bodies and pay attention to the things that they care about. Uh, the two biggest, or at least two that, that I subscribe to, but there's other standard-setting bodies out there, are what's called USPAP, Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice, and then the AICPA, so the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Both of those bodies have published business valuation standards and far too lengthy and detailed to get into on this call today, but they give an overview of what are the things that business valuation practitioners have to to do in any given engagement and basically lay the framework for the work that has to be done so that the end result meets some threshold of quality and review in, in the business valuation process. Both of those standard-setting bodies regularly get together. They update uh, the standards annually or every other year or tweak them and come under a lot of analysis, uh, not only in a tax setting, um, but also in a financial reporting setting, um, also in in court, uh, whether it's a a tax court or just a regular civil litigation. They are kind of the the, uh, foundation, if you will, for doing a, a, a credible valuation. And there will be even more analysis in this regard going forward because the financial world, not just U.S., but, but internationally, is headed towards what's called a fair value model. And a fair value model attempts to capture the value of intangible assets, for example. 
and there'll be much more analysis and scrutiny and probably more regulations going forward as to how to assess the fair value of certain assets. But generally speaking, whether it's the two bodies I mentioned, USPAP or the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants or any other business valuation uh, body out there, the standards are laid out fairly easily accessible and the professionals practicing in, in that area ought to reference those standards in their proposals and projects such that the user of the valuation can then can then review and see what standards they followed. Yeah, you mentioned they get updated every year. I, I, I imagine it really it pays to keep up with those those, those changes, those updates. It does. Uh, USPAT, for example, comes out every year uh, annually. The AICPA issues their business valuation standards, but what they have is a, is a rather regular white papers or comments or whatever the deliverable is talking about interpretation of those, of those standards. And in addition to that, the Financial Accounting Standards Board regularly weighs in on things such as fair value and other things that have a valuation flavor to them. And beyond that, it's just a, a rather fluid world that we live in in terms of how people interpret dialogue. It's very robust data in terms of what's going on out there. But yes, absolutely, uh, at least annually, there are updates to those standards. And those updates need to be monitored like we do and, and followed and then so that the work product meets them. Well, Chad, walk us through some of the steps uh, that you follow. What process do you follow when performing a business valuation? You know, the initial start, if you will, or the, the, the start of the valuation process comes from a phone call or a meeting in terms of outlining what has to be done in, in the project. Fairly early on, it's important to establish the scope, the deliverable, the reason that uh, a firm like mine is engaged or uh, the reason that the client may need to have the valuation. All those things are laid out in detail in a formal proposal before the process starts. Once the business valuation starts and, and every everyone is aligned in terms of the, the reason for it, it's a process of gathering information about the company that we're valuing or the part of the company that we're valuing or the asset that we're valuing. And that can be come from a host of different areas. Almost in every case, it's going to involve some type of financial information, whether it's historical and or forward-looking perspective financial information. It would involve the standard financial statements that are out there, income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement, maybe an audited financial statement, tax returns. We're gathering financial information on the entity or the part of the entity that, that we're valuing. And that's sort of the quantitative side of, of the ledger. The qualitative side of the ledger comes from gathering information you can't always see within those financial statements. So that typically comes from a site visit to where we'll actually go to the client, go to the customer, or go to where the asset, for example, is and learn more about it, not only just by seeing it and visiting the business or, or the asset, but learning about how the business works from its key players. So the combination of those two is really diligence. We're getting diligence on the target or what it is that we're uh, valuing or appraising. Once the diligence has been gathered, then we'll prepare the analysis. And it, it's you know akin to a book report, if you will, where we tell the story of the business that we're valuing, which would include an overview of what they do, an overview of the economy and how it relates, the company, the subject company relates to the economy and the industry. We'll do a financial analysis of the company, and then we'll opine to the value of the company. And in that opining to the value of the company, we employ different valuation approaches, which I'm sure we'll get to later, to where we look at how a hypothetical uh, or a market participant buyer would, would value this company. 
all of that is encapsulated in a report, which is then delivered and then finalized. So that, that's kind of the step-by-step process that, that we go through in terms of the production of the business valuation opinion. You mentioned gathering financial information, but are there other documents or other data or other information that a, a client would expect to have to provide as part of the valuation process? That's correct. You know, it, it, as I said earlier, the, the historical financials, while they're very relevant and important and tell a good bit of the story about the, the subject company, there's many other documents that we get to tell even more detailed or granular story. Promotional materials about the company are sometimes provided. Websites have decent, uh, robust uh, access to, to what a company does and how they do it. A detailed customer list, for example, or information on the company's intellectual property. Uh, major contracts, say, it, say it's a lease agreement or customer contract or a vendor contract. Uh, we will sometimes get those and read those and analyze those and their impact on the business. Uh, on the legal side, there's a whole host of uh, documents, and I think Jonathan can speak to some of the items in that regard uh, it, momentarily, but to the thing that, that is most relevant to our world is a shareholder agreement. Many times, valuing a piece of a business, that piece of the business has attributes that might be slightly different than the, the business as a whole through a shareholder agreement that kind of dictates what happens if the shareholder quits or resigns or dies. That can make its way to the valuation exercise. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think Jonathan can weigh in a little bit more on some of the legal documents that he sees being requested or analyzed in the valuation process. Sure. As far as the the legal documents that would uh, be relevant to evaluation, you want to look at the constituent documents of the company. If it's a corporation, it's articles in corporation and bylaw and shareholder agreements. Uh, If it's a limited liability company, of course, you'd want to look at the articles of organization and the operating agreement uh, of that LLC. I think you also need to look at all of the major contracts uh, of the business, uh, in particular the customer contracts that it relies on to generate revenue. Uh, On the expense side, it's primary vendor agreements and uh, and rental and lease agreements that are are deriving expenses. I thought I'd also uh, toss in, Steve, an example of of how valuation might might come into play and how, in particular, the use of financial statements might be relevant and how they might change a little bit in the case of some renewable businesses. Sure. Uh, let's imagine, for example, that uh, Chad was going to do a valuation of a hypothetical or proposed a 20-megawatt uh, solar farm to be built in the desert southwest. Perhaps the developer is projecting that it's going to cost $100 million to build this, uh, this solar farm. I mean, imagine 200 acres of desert covered up with solar uh, photovoltaic panels. And then after having built it, he would hope to generate, say, $300 million over the next 20 years in the sale of power to a local utility under a long-term power purchase agreement. Well, in that sort of a hypothetical, a valuation expert like Chad uh, would want to look at that long-term power purchase agreement. Does the pricing in the power purchase agreement support the long-term revenue projections of the developer? Are there any contingencies in that contract that might change the price that would be paid by the utility. Sometimes these long-term power purchase agreements or PPAs have a, a fixed price for power. Another term, another time, they can be variable. What are the variations that, that are at play there and how likely are the contingencies that might increase or decrease the price of the power? All of those factors might play a role in determining the value of the business to the extent that it's derived from a discount of the future possible cash flows. And also, in that particular case, where you're talking about a business that is being developed and we're trying to derive a valuation of what it would be worth if it were built or completed, uh, historical financial information would not be that relevant. 
we would be looking at forecasts, or rather Chad would be looking at forecasts, and we'll be looking at the assumptions that go into those forecasts. Again, using the same example of a, of a large solar park in the desert, what is the projected power output of the farm that is being used to drive the estimation of revenue? There are actually very well-detailed uh, solar studies that are available from the U.S. government based upon the GPS locations uh, throughout the desert southwest to tell you what the historical experience has been with sun and cloud cover. And very often, an astute developer will use that data to make a projection of what they think the power output of their solar park will be in order to provide the estimation of future revenues under the long-term power purchase agreement. So it's a highly fact-intensive exercise that really does have to be done on a case-by-case basis based upon the purpose of the valuation and the, uh, and the type of business that we're, uh, that we're evaluating. It's a great example. I assume there are some special topics or issues that are unique to performing valuations for renewable energy businesses. There are. There, there are a number of unique considerations to take, to take into account when valuing a renewable energy business. In particular, you want to look at the regulatory climate. For example, in, in the example of my, my large desert solar park, if the valuation depends upon a forecast of future revenues, what is the regulatory climate for solar energy in the state where the project is located? Uh, is the power, is the price to be paid for the power in the power purchase agreement contingent upon uh, local state public utility commission permission or some sort of tariff? If it's dependent on the price to be paid under a tariff, uh, how likely is it that that tariff might change during the period of our revenue forecast? And would that change tend to increase or decrease the revenues? In the case of any renewable energy business that is yet to be completed, there are very often environmental and zoning issues that need to be overcome. Uh, a valuation expert would want to take into account the potentiality or the risk that any of those environmental or zoning restrictions might slow up or even prevent the completion of the project because if the project isn't completed, it never comes online, it never produces revenue, and now its valuation is, is adversely affected. I gave an example of solar. Another good example is uh, it would be a wind project uh, in, the, uh, in the upper Midwest. Again, you have the same valuation questions that can derive from pricing in the power purchase agreement that can be based upon a tariff. And very often, the, the large wind projects in the upper Midwest are producing power in one state that is ultimately going to be sold, uh, on a, pushed onto the grid, and transported a long distance to another state. The cost of doing that and how that impacts valuation is, is something that a valuation expert would want to look at. In the case of a biomass project, for example, where we're incinerating wood waste or other natural uh, products in order to generate steam to generate power, there are the environmental effects of the, uh, uh, of the combustion. Very often a Clean Air Act uh, permit but might be required and the valuation should take into effect the cost and expense and, and difficulty and ultimately the, the availability uh, of getting those Clean Air Act uh, permits and uh, whatever other local regulations there might be uh, on the combustion. And these are, by and large, forward-looking projections, right? Well, uh, in the case of a uh, of new construction, of a new business that we're going to value, yes, uh, you're talking about something that hasn't been built yet, and the estimation of value is a net present value of the forecasted future cash flows of the business. We then, to, in order to come up with that net present value, have to look at the, the quality of those forward-looking projections. Uh, and that is the, the process that the, the valuation expert would go through. 
looking at the contracts that are going to be uh, producing revenues, looking at the, the physical and scientific assumptions about how much power will be produced or how much uh, revenue is going to be produced, and then all the factors that might affect positively or negatively the likelihood that those revenues get created as forecasted. As Jonathan said, the going forward or the projected results of operations for uh, renewable energy or alternative fuel or a wind energy or a biofuel type uh, business, particularly in the last few years and at present, most likely involves a, a relatively young company that maybe hasn't generated much by way of profits and maybe not even revenues. And it makes for an interesting and unique challenge in the valuation process in that it becomes sort of a educated guess as to what the future will look like. And those future cash flows are then converted into value. As I look at our valuation projects, where we've done a number in, in this space, it really starts at the very top. And by the top, I don't necessarily mean revenues of the company, but even beyond that. It starts by looking at the market that's, that might be out there for this, for this business and then looks at what the business may capture by way of a piece of that market. And even a very small piece sometimes can be rather substantial revenues and profits. With the backdrop of the regulatory issues, as, as Jonathan mentioned earlier, a good fundamental understanding of the marketplace itself really drives the forward-looking projections, the forward-looking performance of the entity that we'll be valuing. So we typically start there, and while we you know, mentally engage and we do our own research, we work pretty closely with management in that regard to help build the forecast. Sometimes management's very sophisticated and has already built it. Other times we work alongside them to build what we think the future might look like for this company. Because ultimately that future then is what is converted in, into a value. And I kind of wanted to go over that again because that part of the valuation process, particularly in the renewable energy space, is, is critical. Sometimes the user is being educated in how the valuation is is concluded or arrived, and, and that knowledge of the market is a key part of that. So that is really a key driver in, in the valuation process, is the forward-looking concept within the, con the, the confines of what the market itself can bear for this company. Well, Chad, then what is, do you feel, the likely best approach to valuation? In, in this space, the renewable energy space, it really becomes what we call an income-based approach. And, and there are really three values, just take a step back, the, the three major valuation approaches are an income-based approach, a market-based approach, and an asset-based approach. An income-based approach is simply present valuing what the future looks like by way of cash flows, future performance of the company. A market-based approach compares the subject company with companies that have been bought or sold in the open marketplace for which that information is available. It could be a public company or could be a private company that has visibility to what was paid for it. Those multiples, or what was paid for those companies, are then compared and contrasted with the subject company. And an asset-based approach is just simply looking at all of the company's assets, comparing that to all the company's liabilities, adjusting them all as necessary, and the net result is the equity value. The second and third, the market-based approach and the asset-based approach, are rarely used in this space because, as I said earlier, a lot of these companies are relatively new companies, or even if they're somewhat mature, they still are forecasting maybe rather significant growth. And it's hard to find comparable companies, public or private, that, that demonstrate the same kind of forecast. So most of the work we've done in this space is discounted cash flow methodology within the income-based approach, which gets us back to what we were talking about earlier, which is building the model. As I look at, and we've done this a number of times, we've got a number of clients in the last year or two, 
it be, we work hand-in-hand hand with management to help build what the future looks like. And that future performance becomes the key foundation for the valuation process. Um, like Jonathan's example earlier about a, sol- a solar panel company that uh, is getting up and running, not only does the mechanics of what that future looks like have to be looked at, but they have to be tested. In other words, let's say that growth is you know, 200% a year for a number of years. It's not just the income statement that has to be modeled in that case, but it's also the balance sheet. Where are they getting their funding? Are they borrowing it? Are they getting equity, uh, different classes of equity? And how does the cash flows play out in the future? Is it achievable? And that's a key process that, that any internal person or even a valuation firm goes through in assessing what the future might look like. Once those are modeled and agreed and they seem reasonable, and we go through that process too, then you present value those back at a cost of capital that is or a discount rate that's commensurate with the risk of making the investment. And that would be like any investor would do. Investors have choices where to put their money. They could put their money in a, in a CD and generate a few points, or they could put their money in a speculative investment vehicle and generate significantly more. We go through that process of estimating the rate of return that would be required or could be required by a hypothetical or a real investor, and those future cash flows are then discounted to a number. Um, that is sort of the key process, and that comes from, back to the original question, the, the, the best approach to valuation that we see, particularly in this space, is the income-based approach, which is really discounting the future estimated cash flows. What kinds of factors or what kind of information would a business owner need to evaluate or document in order to support a discounted cash flow valuation of his business? Management, the owner, whoever is the person that that is most knowledgeable or the group of people that are most knowledgeable about the business need to have that fundamental understanding of where they're going with the business. The story is part and parcel with the model and and the forecasted income statement or forecasted cash flows then or what result in the end value. But they have to have a fundamental understanding of the marketplace where they operate. Again, back to uh, things Jonathan talked about earlier, the regulatory environment, the tax attributes uh, of the um, renewable energy uh, space that they're in, and what the market might bear for their business as well. And that's top line. They also have to have a fundamental understanding of the cost associated with doing that, not just the cost of goods sold, for example, the cost of producing the energy or what, doing whatever they're doing in the renewable energy space, but as well as the cost of running their business, the operations, the general administrative or the overhead. Um, they have to have a fundamental understanding of that. And, and lastly, they have to have an understanding of the scale. When the company grows as, as they say that it's going to grow, what is their plan and what is their understanding of the costs that come along with that? They have to understand the full attributes of the business. We certainly help them test it, think about it, and model it. But at the end of the day, their management's really in charge of of saying this is what the future looks like. We'll test it and we'll comment on it. And what we do is we take that future and then we convert that into a value through present valuing, as Jonathan mentioned earlier. Yeah, that is how you reach your conclusion, right? Correct. Chad, as we get set to conclude, are there uh, any final thoughts that uh, you'd like to impart on the listeners? Any key issues that you'd like them to take away from our discussion today? Yes. uh, The the key issues are really the original purpose for the valuation, be it tax planning or stock option issuance or fairness opinion or analyzing a tax credit. The key issues are what what is the purpose? And then secondarily, it's the building of the story and the model as to what this business can do or might be able to do in the future 
if I get a call from a prospective client in the renewable energy space, those are a couple of my first key questions. Why are you calling in the first place? What's maybe the need for it? And number two, do you have a good handle on where you think this company's going? Once we figure those two things out, it becomes a relatively straightforward exercise. Still a lot of work to be done to arrive at the conclusion. And I'm sure Jonathan has a couple thoughts to add as well and kind of in closing. Well, for me, the key takeaway in valuing renewable energy businesses is uh, really the, the importance of having an evaluation consultant who understands the industry as well as the fundamentals of business valuation. Uh, having an attorney and a legal team that is very familiar with the industry and familiar with all the regulatory nuances that uh, affect that industry, and then having a close cooperation uh, between your valuation team and your legal team to make sure that we are accurately identifying uh, both the risks and the potential upsides of the business and the interplay of regulatory change and the regulatory environment uh, on that valuation. Uh, I think if you have all those things, you as a business owner and an entrepreneur are putting yourself in the best possible uh, position to get the best possible valuation and the most accurate valuation. Definitely a number of very involved issues, and I'd like to thank you both, Jonathan and Chad, for the analysis uh, of how business valuations are done and how they relate to uh, renewable energy businesses. Thank you both very much for being part of this LexisNexis legal podcast. Chad Hextra, president of HH Advisors in Atlanta, and Jonathan Wilson of the Atlanta law firm Taylor English Duma. This has been the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Visit all our communities at www.lexisnexus.com community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis. Total Practice Solutions. This is Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.